Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello again, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. This weekend's Velo Adelaide 500 will decide the Repco Supercars Championship. In the Speed Cafe newscast, you heard popular pit lane pundit Mark Larkham give his predictions on how he saw the title fight shaking out. As well, Larko provided insight into the upcoming Gen 3 wind tunnel testing in America and other parity tech stuff. There's much more, so much more to that chat, which is coming up in full with Larko at his entertaining and informative best. Since I spoke with him, it's been confirmed Adrian Burgess is stepping down early next year to be replaced by departing Tickford Racing boss Tim Edwards. His appointment is popular in the pit lane as, rightly or wrongly, Burgess's handling of the introduction of Gen 3 was deeply divisive. So, Larko at length coming up, and also this time, we take a closer look at supercars' sustainability plans. From next year, the Dunlop control tyres will be recycled. But is it time for supercars, indeed major racing worldwide, to rethink wasteful tyre changes in sprint races? We put that to supercars' boss of going green, Tim Wasford. But wait, there's more. Ahead of his last weekend as a supercars full-timer, Adelaide-born Scott Pye talks about his booming business outside racing. First, though, that full Larko interview. Okay, Mark Larkham. Well, let's start with the big interest this weekend in Adelaide. Brody Kostecki versus Shane Van Gisbergen. Van Gisbergen, who wins and why? Wow, folks, that's a that's a tough question, isn't it? You know, I mean, I would just say on the face of it, based on the records from the year, the performances of the year, uh, Brody Kostecki, not by a mile, but he wins. But if you were talking about anyone else other than Shane Van Gisbergen, it makes it hard, doesn't it? Because, I mean, he can just pull something out of nothing all of the time. But... As you very well know, what's stacked against him uh, are the points and the way our point system works, which works very well for us, mind you. Um, the, you know, j- just winning is not going to be enough. You know, we can talk more about that, but I think Shane's got to have a very particular strategy if he's any chance at winning this championship. But no, to answer your question, Brody. And of course, no debate. He'll be a very worthy champion, won't he? Oh, not just that. Very worthy and team. Um, Folks, let's not forget that. I mean, I've watched that team up close develop from a bunch of very young people, particularly those out on the pit lane under pressure in pit stops. We all saw it over the years, making lots of mistakes. We saw Barry copping and hammering. I really like Barry. I like his no-bullshit approach to stuff. I, I just do. Um, in a world that's gone way too soft. Um, and, you know, I think now we should stand back and just 
pay that team some credit because to watch them function on the lane now and get their pit stops right, their strategies right, the engineering of the cars right, um, that's the stuff that we don't see and that's the really, really hard stuff in our game. And then when you put that up against Triple Eight and the might of their engineering prowess and people, um, that's no mean feat. So Brody then as the driver and a ripping good guy. That's why I'd love him. I mean, I, I mean, I just like him. I drink beer with that guy every night. I just he's a he's a proper Aussie bloke, you know. He, 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 I, I just I got a real sweet spot for him. I, I really do like the guy. He's, he hasn't changed. Very humble, um, and what a talent behind the wheel. So, um, yeah, but it's going to be tough. He's hard as on and off the track. He is. And, folks, it's funny. I ask a lot of drivers um, just at different, you know, interviews and functions or whatever. I love love asking drivers, if you could be on the last lap of a championship-winning race, who would you not want in your revision mirror? And you know as well as I do, the number one answer to that question in the modern era has been Shane Van Gisbergen. And I guess if you were to flip around, the number two answer would clearly for me be Brody Kostecki. So I just think it's magnificent that the – the championship has come down to these two combatants because they are both so hard-nosed. And it's not lost on me. It's probably not lost on any of us how Brody walked into our world with that performance as a co-driver at Bathurst where, you know, we spoke about it, didn't we, before Bathurst, just his complete ignorance to the names on the side of any of the other cars. He was doing his own thing respectfully. And, well, aren't they the signs of a tough competitor? And, you know, no surprises, here we are, so... Man, I'm loving where we're heading this weekend. And don't forget, um, the, another big game on for third, you know, the podium in the championship because, what is it, like nine points or something between Feeney and, um, uh, come on, Mark, um, Will Brown, um, you know, that, that has implications around their other team players. So, Fascinating, mate, and, and and fascinating how you go about it. If I can just indulge you for a sec, folks, I think I, I was thinking about this. You know, how do you go about it as a team? You know, Shane Van Gisbergen going and winning is not enough. Shane, if he wants to win this championship, has got to go there as a team with a strategy to, A, for me, maintain track position. So that means they can't be sort of ignorant of qualifying speed like they were at uh, Bathurst focusing on their race setup, which was the right thing to do. They've got to be up the front. They've got to have track position for the express reason of keeping Brody in the pack. Because their only chance, really, Brody's got to have a DNF. He's got to have an incident, a drama, uh, caught up in safety car dramas, you know, with, with compulsory, two compulsory pit stops. They've somehow got to get him caught up in that. Not nice to say, but, you know, they, they need him off in the sand trap or in the fence. You know, and the only way to do that is have him battling in the pack. So having Brody in clean air out the front, dictating the race, is not what they need. But on qualifying this year, I was just having a look earlier. Brody's average qualifying position, I think, is like 4.5 or something like that. Shane's average qualifying position is 8 point something. So on the stats, mate, Brody should qualify in front of him. And that's what they've got to they've got to stop. And because there, there won't be big tyre degradation at Adelaide, it's not a high-deg track. So trying to do a sort of, you know, SVG's typical late stop strategy or relying on a big undercut um, or a tie game, it'll always work. It just won't be as strong there. So for me, 
I'd be designing everything I do this weekend about strategizing to to keep Brody in the pack. Indeed. There's all to play for and it's well essentially it's for Brody to lose. Okay. The other big topic is it's all being confirmed well, not confirmed, but we now have a timeline on the wind tunnel testing of the Mustang and the Camaro in the United States early next month. All this parody argument and error testing, transient dyno engine testing and all it, the average fan it does their head in. So look, Larko, that's what you're good at. Break it down. What is the wind tunnel testing? What's it gonna do? Is it gonna end this parody aero argument? Yeah, that's a great question, um, folks. Um, Is it, let me put it this way, what it will do by using the transient dyno and the aero tunnel will simply mean that we've used all the best tools available in the world to get the cars as close uh, as they possibly can. So essentially there's nothing really much more you can do. And I don't think there's ever any guarantees. I mean, other than being able to tick that box, which is great, and the category needs to do, I think, to put everything to rest. Formula One spend, as you know, lots of energy, time and resource in tunnels, and they don't always get it right. But what we're doing is a little different. We're not going to develop parts in the wind tunnel, uh, which is sophisticated and problematic in itself. What we're going to do is to try and go and validate a whole series of numbers, um, maybe make some changes to make sure they marry up. Um, CFD, computational fluid dynamics, will be still very much a part of that. And so, so that's a little different. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is I think this is good. Um, should we have done it earlier? A lot of people say, I, I for the life of me, I'm close to all of the guys, the program. I the, For me, there was never a spot to do it earlier. With all the work that had to be done with the prototypes and the testing and the pre to get it all done and happening uh, leading up to this season, there, there simply was never ever an opportunity to do it earlier. And and if I'm honest, folks, there was probably early on there was probably uh, not seen as a need because the the uh, aero testing done at the various runways around the place and the CFD work that was being done in the UK. Um, should have been sufficient. And in any other period in our sport, they would have been massively sufficient because our cars have always been way further apart. And I say that because, you know, forever our cars have been the same but different. But now we're sort of a victim of our own good work. We have made these cars so incredibly similar. I've told you before, I've had the privilege, I get to see a lot of the data uh, the overlays, the engine stuff, and with all the tools that we have and the aero stuff, with all the tools that we have had up to this point, trust me, the things have been incredibly close. And and also trust me when I say no one rings me up and tells me to say that stuff or put it on Mahino Hub. I say it because I've seen it. But clearly, even with all of that, it's not enough. Because the cars are so close, what's happening, even a micron of difference, will it's magnified, right? So... That does still concern me a little bit going forward because even with all the wind tunnel work in the world, because the cars are so incredibly close, any tiny little advantage, you know, I mean, you can't wind tunnel test for, you know, a 173 kilometre an hour corner where the car's at three degrees yaw and there's a 30 kilometre an hour southwest breeze blowing across the boot at a certain angle. You know what I mean? It's You, you just can't cover everything. But 
but on average, you've got to get them the same. So to go to the chase, mate, what the Aero Tunnel will do, folks, which we haven't been able to do with all the good intent and CFD and all the rest of it, is your, which is basically the car when it's turning. So if you imagine that the car is going at 200 k's an hour or faster into the breeze, and then you turn the car like a yacht, it's yours. It turns so the flow of air across the surfaces of the car is different. And that has a massive impact on both downforce and drag and balance, aerodynamic balance. So there's the first thing. I'll be able to twist the cars or turn the cars on a turntable in the aero tunnel at, you know, zero degrees, one, two, three, four, maybe five degrees, um, you know, typical your characteristics. The other thing I believe this tunnel can do is roll, which is really cool. So, again, if you subtly roll, because when you're turning a car, because let's remember, downforce only matters when you're turning the car, right, in a corner. So when you're turning a car, the car's in roll. You know, it's down on its haunches on one side and up on the other. So this tunnel actually has the capacity to roll the car while they look at that flow. So that's really good. And I trust that'll mean they can do a combination of your and roll at the same time. And the other thing I've pointed out a few times in the telecast where we have the Hino Hub often in with the motorsport operations guys, I get to see they when they scrutiny the cars all year, they've got these little laser beams under them. So they're measuring all the ride heights that the cars are using to be competitive. So they've got all of those logged for the whole year. And so they'll now have that information, which we didn't have in the previous generation of testing we did, and where that's where Penske, I think, outsmarted everyone. Um, this time, so they will go and use all that data to replicate that in the tunnel. So they'll know ride height up at the back, down at the front, the whole ride height down, the car flatter, the car with a lot of pitch. So between pitch, yaw and roll, foes across a whole raft of speeds in the scientific domain of a tunnel, um, coupled with CFD to validate it. Um, heck, mate, that's it. What We can't do any more than that. And it's a big investment, very expensive, as you know. Um, so I tip my hat to supercars for, for saying we've got to do this. So, yeah, wind tunnel testing and transit dyno engine testing, they're the big fixes. Yeah, well, the transit dyno one will address it. And again, t- seriously, folks, I've seen so much engine data now over the year that, you, seriously, mate, you couldn't pick it. And there's, there's times where the Mustang, like Darwin, uh, the bend where the Mustang was faster than the Camaro. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, quick, make them go faster. And I've, I've watched a lot of stress in the organisation, you know, just being very careful with this. Um, but but even the dyno charts and all the track uh, analysis doesn't go to the level of what you can do on a transient dyno. And one of the great things about a transient dyno, so, and for those that don't know what it is, so if you're effectively – if you imagine removing the drivetrain, you know, the engine, uh, the drivetrain, the transmission, the transaxle, the rear axle, the hubs. So everything gets from the, the front of the engine through to the power at the rear wheels, and that's it. You get rid of everything else. So there's no other variables. There is just the drivetrain. And on a transient dyno, you can then actually run the engine in track simulation. So if they want, they could run every track in this country on that transient dyno, then switch it over to the Camaro, and do the same thing. And it's a it's a lot of work. I've seen the plans for all the jigging and work that's going on. I think it's like a $3 million uh, transient dyno that they're using. Uh, so it's a really high-end piece of equipment. Um, but they've still got to make – supercars have been making all the, 
jigging and fixtures to be able to bolt both the, the running gear of a Mustang and a Camaro onto this thing and get a really, really, really super accurate picture uh, of the performance of the engine across acceleration, full power, uh, full torque curves, uh, gear shifting, really importantly, all the work we've done on shift cuts and whatever. So again, here's the tool now to eliminate all of that. And when it's done, there can be no argument. So, um, you know, uh, you know, great, really good, really good stuff. Mm. Well, that's good. Well, thank you for breaking that down and explaining it in English and well, yeah, hopefully it will all mean that parody is a word we don't hear next year. Well, I think there's a one final component, um, folks, and I, I've had a couple of internal chats and, uh, you know, I'm not in a position of any decision-making. I just try and get in people's ear where I can. But I, I'd, I'd love for the business to now, from, from learnings this year, in fact, I was there on the board, I reckon, 20 years ago when we wrote um, the parity model. That we currently we currently use, you know, where you sort of grab uh, a bunch of the leading cars off one side and then the other side, and then dissect all that down to a sixty second lap and remove all the outliers and the in laps and the out laps and the crook laps and all the rest of it. So you get a really accurate picture when you average all that out of the true performance of a Camaro versus a Mustang in genuine racing circumstances. Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. But because that's a tenth of a second in sixty seconds. That was designed for an era where the cars were completely different. Like, you know, as well as I do, the cars for the last 25 years haven't been even remotely the same. Well, they've been close, but nothing like they are now. So a tenth of a second in 60 seconds is plenty to capture a difference in parity. So I think we probably need to have a bit of a look at that. You know, if it was me, I'd be saying, you know, you, you probably need to halve that so you capture any parity differences sooner. Uh and I'd love to see them, you know, I mean, five races is a long time to wait to trigger it. Um, maybe, you know, there's something that can be be looked at there. So I think that's just part of a holistic approach to it, to to, to really arrow in. And um, so, so if there is any small differences, they can be jumped on and you barely will even see them. But that's the point, mate, in our game when it's so close, the really tiny things. And, and, and as you know, mate, we just want to get this back to, the entire focus is on the team, the strategy, the drivers, the pit stops, doing it right. Mark Larkham, of course, will feature on the Velo Adelaide 500 coverage on Fox Sports and Seven. Supercars is slowly going green. The long-term target is net zero carbon emissions across the sport. Now, a lot of that will be reducing the environmental impact of the events. As far as the racing goes, supercars is already something of a pioneer, using E75 fuel that is made largely from sustainable sources. In addition to the ethanol, there's also an extra biofuel component, but the rest is still fossil fuel. That is good old-fashioned petrol. Now, Formula One is switching to fully synthetic fuel in 2026 and also looking at more sustainable tyres. No plan for supercars to switch to synthetic fuel in the foreseeable future, but it is doing something about tyres. The first step is a recycling program starting next year. After the use in racing, 
the Dunlop control rubber will be converted into reusable materials. The Dunlop tyres have actually been recycled, well, in a fashion, for more than a decade now. More than 80,000 have gone to carting tracks around the country to make tyre barriers. Now, all this begs the question of tyre wastage in sprint races. With the increasing focus on sustainability, can motor racing continue the bad look of changing tyres gratuitously in sprint races? Fact is, tyre companies like Dunlop have the technology to make racing rubber with huge grip that doesn't wear out or degrade or throw off marbles that litter the edges of the tracks. So, does supercars have a plan for long-life tyres? I put that to Tim Watsford, who until this week was Supercar's Chief Innovation and Sustainability Officer. Actually can't comment on that at the moment. We're, we haven't touched it, to be quite frank. Um, we're looking at getting the cars on the road. The E75 is such a, a, a step forward in the, in the right direction. Um, in terms of what the future holds, we've got F1 are talking about synthetic fuels in 26, etc. That's something that we'll have to tackle, no doubt. That, that's, that's a question that's going to come up at the moment. It's not on the agenda. But it is important because the look, perception is important. Yeah, I think so. More broadly too, right? Like, look, we're... Where hydrogen's going from a from a powering perspective, you know that can kind of sit in a kind of a combustion engine, and, and where does that go into the future versus electric, and what's electric cars are doing to the planet? These are all these these questions in the time that we're sitting. It's an interesting it's an interesting debate. Now, I look at what it does to produce an electric vehicle in terms of um, earth to car to re, to retirement. It's quite an impact on the environment, to be quite frank. So, where we are going forward is 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 an interesting is an interesting place where we are. Um, it's definitely going to have to be a discussion at some point. We've obviously got a bit on our plate at the moment from where we are in a category perspective, but part of those part of those longer term strategies that I mentioned before and, and looking at our carbon footprint assessment, obviously what's on the track is going to be a part of that and that'll kind of guide where we want to go in terms of what you know, Gen 4 cars are an example and, and so on. So that'll be definitely a consideration, but I'd like to think that you know we're on, that, we're on our journey to much more of an aesthetic based fuel in the future, yeah. I should point out that I spoke with Watsford before the tyre recycling initiative was announced. And what about a move to fully synthetic fuel in supercars? Here's Watsford again. I, I probably won't dive into the, the technical the technical piece on, on the motorsport element, but from a principle, yeah, like tyres are. Um, the, a lot of tyres get chewed through, not only on race cars, but through fucking general use in in the day-to-day -day car life as well. Um, that That's gonna be part of our journey, it has to be. We have to work with our partners around, both from a life cycle of the tire on the on the car, but also what are we doing after it? There's only, my view, there's only so many, you know, playgrounds that we can put soft fall down and, and, and regenerate in terms of life after car racing. I know the guys up here are using some of the um, cars from the Porsche, I think it is, that are going into local clubs, so that's a good next step, but where do they go from there? That's a question that I can't answer at the moment, but has to be addressed. So tyres and tyres and fuel are optically one of our um, biggest contributors to where our greenhouse gas emissions and something we have to address. Um, do you agree with my proposition that the use of tyres, not just in supercars but motorsport, looks wasteful? That is a, that's, a, that's an interesting point to put me into. Um, at this point, 
I don't think so. I think we can get to the point where it's tyres need not tyres need from a general motorsport perspective, but also general use um, need to be applied. Um, but in terms of where they are, in terms of afterlife, yes, I agree. They have to, like where we go and, and addressing that with our partners is, is something that's of, of high priority. Jim Watsford was this week promoted to Chief Operating Officer of Supercars, effectively number two to Chief Executive Officer Shane Howard. This weekend's Adelaide 500 is last call as a full-timer in supercars for Scott Pye. He joins Triple Eight as a co-driver next year. Pye is unusual among drivers. He has a job outside racing. He runs his own company, 19 Media. So, what is it? And how has he juggled running a booming business with being a full-time supercars driver? Well, One Night Media, it's a production company and we do everything from social media production, so running content online, creating ads and things for, for companies to TV ads. Um, we even did one just recently actually with myself with a partnership with Chic and Supercars. So that was was really cool. So uh, predominantly we're, we're yeah, a production company, but we also uh, run social media pages. Um, we yeah not only create the content that goes on the pages, but we also manage, manage them. But we also yeah create... Um, ads for companies that might want to put ad spend behind them, whether for SEO or whatever it might be, we can create, yeah, visual, um, yeah, videos for their companies to, to help market them online as well as, um, yeah, on TV. So it's something that kind of happened organically. I loved making my own videos and editing along the way while I was uh, at Walkinshaw and I created a video. The very first video I ever did was actually for the Peter Brock livery I ran at Bathurst and uh, it was the blue and white one. I thought it was too good not to do a video around it and the team actually posted it. And a few of the sponsors reached out to the team asking who did the video and could we get some some stuff done for them. One of them was mobile, the other was Boost Mobile. Um, and then the team asked if I could put someone on and, and run a run their socials for the next 12 months. And um, so, yeah, I employed someone, registered the company and I, I still, I, I edit myself. Um, we've, we've done documentaries now as well. We actually produced the one for Richie Stanaway and Greg Murphy last year, which I actually produced uh, and then did a lot of the editing for that as well. Um, but yeah, it's just something I'm passionate about. I love storytelling. I love working with sponsors as well and trying to create ways that we can promote their brands. And, and it kind of happened, I guess I learned through my own partnerships and how I thought I could add value to their brands and, and video content was something that every brand needs, especially these days with online advertising. Um, so I guess a, a service was created organically and I've, I've kept going with it. So um, I really want to work with the sport as well and everything I've learned with online and, and try and help the sport, especially now that I've got a bit more spare time, maybe next year, I help them with a plan to um, create some content that uh, is appealing to a, a younger demographic and, and still also create some content that our current demographic really loves that's maybe not being done just yet. But I just, I, I really love storytelling. I like creating content and um, I also enjoy just working with brands and trying to find ways to promote themselves. Has it been easy for you to add all that work to your portfolio? Now, look, you know, we all know supercars drivers generally don't have the... <laughs> A bit the, of spare time. The, yeah, the, the busy schedules, but you've got stuff to do. But equally... Not many of them take on an extra business and you've built this. Um, yeah. What have you learned? Yeah, I mean, I guess some of the some of the, the um fans of the sport probably don't don't realize some of the um challenges we have and, and 
you know, I think with uh, it, it took me 165 races to win my first race, and um, there's no guarantee when the next one will be. But I'd like to use it as an example where it's if you turned up to to work 165 times in a row and lost, it's pretty pretty tough. And it doesn't matter what you're doing for a job, even if it's your dream job, if you turn up every day to work and lose, it becomes it takes a toll on you. And you got to keep getting up and keep fighting. And I wanted to find a productive outlet for um, kind of like a healthy distraction. So I was always, I was actually looking for something for a while. And then yeah, in 2017, I, I came across video content because I was doing it for fun. It was really an outlet for me. Um, and I'm, I actually enjoy, enjoy it as much as my racing. It's not my primary focus still, um, but I've always enjoyed doing it. It just takes a little bit of pressure off of racing as well to know that come retirement, whenever that is, hopefully a very long time from now, I've got something that I can step into that, is established and, and going well but i've always found it to be really healthy to be very busy uh, my mum still works very hard my dad was a truck driver so i've been brought up um you know with with the mentality you should always be working and it's good for your mental health to be busy um and i definitely found once i was doing one nine media it made me feel a lot more healthy i definitely go to races more um refreshed and focused on the racing it's not a distraction but it's a healthy um outlet i think and i mean even the, the race i actually won at grand prix the night before that i was in my office at one no media doing a, a video for a client i wanted to go and edit because i just had my mind racing and i went in and edited and the next day um we, we got the result and i remember walkinshaw was stressed prior to that about me doing this and, and if it would be a distraction to racing and i think that showed that it's healthy to have things outside the sport that can take your mind away from it release some you know take away some pressure or something like that but like you said, we do have a bit of spare time. Um, and I just, I'll be honest, I battled with a lot of guilt when I became full-time with my dad not being around and thinking like I'm not working every day like everyone else is and I wanted to find a bit of an outlet. That's what it was. And, and yeah, it's never been distraction. Racing always comes first. So if I'm busy with racing or something, I don't take jobs on. I've never taken something on that would take my eye off the ball or if I feel like maybe I'm too busy, then I'll cut back and make sure that, you know, if that means profit margin goes down with one no media for the time being, that's fine. I've, I've got to make sure I'm always focused on my racing and um, and that comes first. And yeah, But it's definitely been healthy for me to have a good outlet, good work ethic, gets me up in the morning, makes me train early. Um, and yeah, I work Monday after a race weekend like everybody else and try and build my business. So I've got something after racing. Mm. Join the club. Long-winded long answer, but I hope that, I mean, I actually, I hope that if people see me doing this as well, like other athletes, it's, I encourage you. I don't think it's a distraction. I think if you're doing something you enjoy um, and you can keep the, the stress levels of that low, you, it's a really good, healthy outlet for your mental health and everything to, to keep you motivated. When you have a tough race weekend, it's actually nice to take a bit of a breather off and come back rejuvenated and ready to go again. But media isn't as easy as it looks, is it? No, or no, it's, it? it's, it's tough. I mean, I actually, I love chatting with Roger Penske when, he was my boss and, and he always, he said, you know, business, it's, it's so competitive. Um, our nature, I think suits it. It's um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I know that speak to anyone in business is not easy. I, I definitely feel like in business though, you're probably more in charge of the outcome than you are with motorsport, especially relying on something mechanical and so many things out of your control. Sometimes can be really frustrating. And I feel like maybe you're in more control. Um, you know, effort equals reward a lot more in the real world. Um, sometimes. Not always, but sometimes I feel like it does. But yeah, there's no no jobs easy. Every job has its challenges. Um, but yeah, I certainly think um, being competitive 
helps in most areas. Okay, and I probably should know this, but one nine media. One nine media. Or what, what's the yeah. significance of the name? Well, I actually it was a friend of mine, Elliot, who helped me come up with the name. Actually, I was trying to think of something that that didn't pigeonhole us, um, because I am someone as well that always. Um, I don't. I don't change what I'm enjoying, but I like to always do what I'm enjoying. And sometimes that means the business itself might, might shift or have to um, diversify. And so I didn't want something that pigeonholed the business into one area, but one nine media um, was something that was still personal to me. So one nine is not stands for 19, my racing number. And that was significant to me because my dad actually was a huge Dick Johnson fan growing up. And when I was six years old or seven and we registered my go-kart license, he wanted 17, wasn't available. So he wanted 18, wasn't available. And 19 was the first number that we could get as my South Australian race number. So 19 has always stuck with me. It's still in my email, uh, my personal one. And the company, yeah, I think calling it 19 um, was just a nice little tribute to, to that and uh, keeps it personal as well. And then 19 can actually become anything. It can be a brand of any any kind. Adelaide-born Pye is looking to end his full-time career at his home track on a high with another podium for Team 18. That's it for now. I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news on the Speed Cafe newscast. In the meantime, full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com. And don't forget the Grassroots Racing Podcast, presented by national racing gurus Gary O'Brien and Darren Smith. I'm Mark Fogarty. Once again, thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.